0: Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high-performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award-winning book, Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, it is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Revenge Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform their revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. I, today, have none other than Mary Shea, who her official title is VP, Global Innovation Evangelist at Outreach I, however, have known her for a number of years in a number of different capacities. We've worked out together. We share a, a love and passion for fitness. She has ties back to Chicago many, many years ago. I know she's gone on and moved and done amazing, great things, which she continues to do, but I know her as Mary Shea. So I wanted to invite her on the show. She has, as always, some really actionable insights that are based in deep research, that are based in observations that she's seen with companies. And I really want her to come in, uh, especially and really to help us understand what is going in the market and the shifts that organizations need to make in order to be successful in the new world of B2B. So I'm going to get out of the way. (laughs) And Mary, let you share a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today before we dive into the conversation.
1: Well, first of all, Jeffrey Davis, thank you so much for inviting me onto your show, and I love your podcast
0: Well, voice. thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Is this different uh, than my yeah. regular voice? Is this the podcast voice?
1: You've set a very high bar, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to deliver as well. Okay. As Jeff said, we've been friends and colleagues for many years now, and we do uh, hail from Chicago, so it's so wonderful to see you and to get to spend some time with you. We don't get to do that enough now that I'm it's on the true. East Coast.
0: So now I just had to create a podcast so I can hang out with you.
1: There we go. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I think I'm sure most of your audience knows my background. I've been in and around the space in sales and marketing technology. I was at Forrester for a number of years as a principal analyst where I really looked at the emergence at that time of the sales technology landscape. And I looked at the future of buying and selling in the business world. So like yourself, I'm a bit of a futurist looking at what's happening today and connecting the dots with data and conversations and keeping my ears to the ground to make predictions around what I think is going to happen from a trend perspective in the future. And then I spent a lot of time also talking about social equity and looking at uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion within B2B sales. And so, yeah, that's what I did at Forrester. I've been at Outreach now for almost two years and love the role. As you mentioned, I'm an evangelist for the company. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's essentially like an in-house analyst. So I'm doing many of the same things that I did at Forrester. I conduct qualitative and quantitative research quite regularly so that I can continue to point the market, our customers and potential customers in the right direction and help them prepare for some of the big changes that I see coming down the path. I uh, support our amazing sales team on high value opportunities that we have, whether those are enterprise accounts or other types of accounts and help them get up to the C-suite and have really meaningful conversations. And I have my own podcast as well, which I think you know, and you've been on it. It's called the Revenue Innovators Podcast, and we'd like to have fun on that show. Those are the few things I do, but what I love to do is help companies be successful, whether that's working with an individual executive in the C-suite, helping them see some of the opportunities and take advantage of some of the white space that's out there, helping them to figure out how to bring marketing and sales closer together. I know that's a real passion of yours. And then, you know, how to think about the sales tech stack. Sometimes it's really overwhelming, and I'm sure we'll get into that at some point or another. So I just love helping companies and helping executives reach their full potential.
0: Yeah. And that's why I love having folks like you on the show is, you know, I very much have the same energy around just wanting to help companies do it differently and do it better. I have been on both sides of the fence in sales and marketing and just got to a point in my career where I I realized it's like you guys can benefit so much from working with each other in a different way. I know people are working hard and they're doing the best they can do, but I just feel like uh, having conversations with folks like you that have visibility in, in different parts of the business can really help us and companies out there achieve better results. So the first thing I think I want to start off with asking you is it's no secret a lot of companies are not hitting revenue targets for a number of different reasons. Uh, What are the, the key challenges or what do you see as the key hurdles currently that are preventing organizations from really hitting their number? I know there's more than a few, but what are the ones that are bubbling to the top for you?
1: Well, I think when you think about the numbers for the year, and I did some research that showed about 70 plus percent of B2B organizations globally have adjusted their revenue targets down for this year, and a large number of organizations expect to have uh, flat or lower growth the following year. So when you think about not hitting your numbers for 2022, when we started out the year, You know, I think we had a different vision of what that year was going to look like in terms of how we were going to be able to grow coming out of COVID. But unfortunately, we saw a sovereign nation in Eastern Europe get invaded by Russia. We had uh, inflation on the horizon. We have energy issues. We have China's no tolerance around COVID policy. All of this amalgamation of challenges coming together after we did relatively well from a business standpoint during COVID. You know, it's been a perfect storm that has created an environment where there are significant financial headwinds whether we're in a recession or not we you and i could probably debate that for for a while i know we had our gdp in the last reporting segment was i think it was two percent but the macroeconomic conditions are so difficult that companies are really really struggling and you know i've been around for a little bit this is my third recession in the business world and i don't want to say it was too easy before but If you don't really refine your go-to-market motion, if you don't have the best talent that you can possibly have, if you don't have tremendous coordination and collaboration between marketing and selling and other folks in the go-to-market organization, and if you don't have top-tier tech, you're going to struggle. And what you find is when you really get into it, there's a lot of softness in the system with companies. And the larger the company, the larger you know the fluff is. And you've got to, as a business leader, really dig in and figure out where you can close those execution gaps, whether that's with talent, whether it's with tech, whether it's with process and what have you. And so organizations that are going to be able to get successful during this very difficult period are the ones that are going to embrace all of those items I just mentioned.
0: Yeah. You know, and I'm going to challenge even my kind of vision for the podcast and something that I said about accelerating growth. Do you feel that should be the focus moving forward or should companies be focused on something else? Is it even possible to accelerate revenue growth in this sort of kind of economic condition?
1: Well, I mean, anything's possible, right? Especially if you're starting with a $5 million book, right? But you and I work with larger companies for the most part. (laughs) You know, absolutely we can drive growth and outreach is going to have tremendous growth this year. I think the thing that's changed is that there was sort of an environment where heads of sales, chief revenue officers, chief growth officers, what have you, were focused so much on that top line growth, right? And then Figuring out you've got the lifetime value of the customer and let's just land and then we'll expand and then we'll, you know, the rest will fall into place. Well, now the financial markets, the analysts, the strategists have told us we don't want growth at all costs. We want profitable growth. So growth is going to be important always, but I think we're going to start to see heads of revenue be more focused or, or very, very keenly focused on driving margin growth. And I think that's the new thing that we'll take out of this downturn.
0: So what would you say, you know, times like this, and, and to your point, I've been through a couple of these cycles, times like this, you, you stereotypically get leaders that fall into two camps. And I would say one is to hunker down and do what we know it works. And then the other one is to take this as an opportunity to retool, reassess and deploy differently. I would probably say that I'm in the camp of the second, right? Like well, of user course sessions. you are. Of yeah. course I am.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be having a show like this if you weren't. That right? is very the, true. The, uh, it would be so boring to talk about the first one.
0: <laughs> However, especially in companies that have been established for a while, you run into a lot of headwinds with leadership that are, I would say, cautious or conservative what do you share with those sort of leaders to really get them potentially think different about retooling the way we go to market, talent, tech? Because these, I feel, are a lot of big shifts that need to happen that may feel very different than historically we've needed to do.
1: I guess I was giving you a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek answer. But, you know, of course, there are traditional larger organizations that tend to move slowly. And I think when you come up against challenges like, we've had, which I will say is a one-two punch between a global pandemic and now global economic downturn. It's a lot over the last three years. The natural incl- inclination of many people is to hunker down, is to protect the base. Let's you know look at our existing account base. Let's drive growth through our installed base. And yet, you know, you know new business, net new logos are the lifeblood of any company if you want to move forward. Yeah. So I go back to... I think it was Winston Churchill that said, never waste a a good crisis, right? Use it as an opportunity. And I think the companies that are going to be very successful coming out of this downturn are the ones that, of course, are sensible and pragmatic in terms of how they're running their business and their financials, but the ones who are willing to say, hey, this is a good time. Maybe I should just go out and acquire talent that's off the charts and better than I've ever had before because there's a lot of talent on the beach right now. So let's use it as a good time to acquire talent. There's a Chicago-based company that I sit on the board of, you know, really well, Mediafly. Carson Conan is the CEO and co-founder there. Well, he's gone out and and made five or six acquisitions. You know, do I personally have the stomach for that and worrying about payroll? No, but he's been able to make some pretty exciting Acquisitions that I think put MediaFly in a really interesting position when they come out of when we all come out of this downturn. So I really think it's an opportunity to take a step back, revisit your talent strategies, look at your processes. You know, can you make process improvements? How are you motivating your sales force? And can you embrace? new technologies with embedded AI and automation that can drive massive efficiencies into the business while allowing you to gain the insights that you can gain from machine learning algorithms running continuously against a massive and growing data set. So I think of the last recession, I think it was 2008, 2009, whatever the exact dates were, but the company, companies like Airbnb what were all the other disruptors that were, were founded then? Uber, a bunch of others. Now, you know, still questionable whether or not they, you know, hitting their margin growth and still some of those companies, not the ones I mentioned necessarily, struggling to Spotify is another one, you know, to make, how do we make the business model work? But in these challenging times, you're going to find the emergence of all kinds of disruptive companies and opportunities. And I think if you just hunker down and wait for the storm to blow over, you're going to find yourself coming out of this whenever it is 18, 20 months in a position where you could get passed by other companies that have been embracing innovation during this really difficult time.
0: Yeah. You know, for me and and those listening, I think more than anything, like things have are moving faster and accelerating. And so the risk of staying still nowadays versus, Two decades ago, even a decade ago, is very different. Like you could have played catch up, right? But I think nowadays, if you don't do something, when we do come out of this, you're going to be so far behind that it's going to be very, very difficult to even get caught up where you're even at table stakes. It's just different. I
1: completely agree with you. Yeah, it's really different. I think part of the difference is that, again... Data is, you know, sort of the golden mean here. Like if you do embrace some of these new technologies and new processes and you're out there capturing rich data sets from not only your employee base, but your customer prospect community, you're gonna be so far ahead of these companies that didn't make those investments in terms of your ability to derive insights from big data. That these other companies are just, they're going to be playing in a different ballpark than the innovators are.
0: Yeah. So I was actually digging into some of your work as I very often do, which I suggest others do as well. And you talk about this concept called the agile organization. And so the word agile has come up a lot uh, recently in a number of different industries and organizations. And obviously there's the traditional agile that came out of like software development. But I think the way in which we use agile now talking about organizations is a little bit different. Can you share with those that are listening, what do you mean by the agile organization and kind of talk about like what that work was born out of and how an organization can determine whether or not it's right for them?
1: Yeah. In fact, you've caught me at really perfect timing because I just banged out a really rough draft of an article and book I hope to publish in the not too distant future. And I know- Inside information Uh, on the
0: podcast.
1: (laughs) You're a published author, so maybe you you can give me a few tips and and introduce me to to your publisher, what have you. But I think I'm on to something. And how I'm thinking about it and what I'm calling this article right now is the rise of the agile, efficient organization. So not only are we hearing agility, but we're also hearing efficiency. Almost every conversation I have, there's an element of talking about efficiency because that's the only way you're going to get – profitable growth in this type of environment. So I believe this agile, efficient organization is on the rise. I believe there's a new, a relatively new role that we will see in organizations. It's called the chief growth officer. And in this vision that I have, this shootout between your CMO and your CRO has already happened. It's been one, and one exec is going to run all of your growth across the organization. And it's so simple and makes so much sense because it's really mapped to how buyers want to buy and how buyers are buying. So it really starts with the buyer behavior versus the political conversation or I'm frustrated because marketing doesn't report into me or I'm frustrated because sales doesn't close all the great leads I give over to them. But rather, the way buyers are engaging with selling organizations is really different. So they want to engage in remote and digital capacities. They are adding more and more folks to the evaluation cycle. And I think there's some stats around there that says 70% of the research is done before they even want to engage that seller. So they're going to... G2 Crowd or for another Chicago-based company, um, they're doing research, they're downloading digital content, they're doing an ROI calculator on your website, and they've kind of made up their mind, and then they want to talk to a seller at some point, depending on what type of selling motion you have. But what this means on the sell side is that the time sellers have to influence and impact that buying decision is becoming smaller smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller simultaneously marketers can no longer focus just on top of the funnel and ABM programs. They have to support the buying journey because so much of it is done on their own from soup to nuts. They have to support the selling organization, the sellers across the entire revenue cycle. So marketers are having to go much, much deeper into the funnel and sellers are having less ability and less time to impact those buying decisions. So that's happening on the one side. And then, just like COVID massively accelerated the digitization of the buying and selling process, I believe this global economic downturn that either we're in or we will be in is going to massively accelerate this smaller, more agile organization. You're seeing rifts across the board, right? And it's sad, it's difficult to see, but sometimes during these difficult economic environments, you're seeing a culling, right? It's just sort of less and less people. So organizations are going to have way less direct salespeople, but those salespeople are going to be armed and enabled with technology like Outreach's sales execution platform and others that will allow them to deliver the type of productivity that we've never seen before, Jeff. And so, I'm already seeing in my quantitative research that 68% of business leaders are saying, I'd rather invest in an innovative sales technology and I'm going to take sales headcount and I'm going to apply that to tech. Remember when back in the day, like when we were working, when we were running things and consulting, you'd be like, oh, Jeff, you need another 10 million in your quota. And then you'd say, okay, Mary, I need another 15 salespeople. I need A million bucks a person. And then I need 5 million and over assignment. Well, that luxury is not going to happen. And this environment will absolutely take that out of the equation. So you're going to see smaller selling organizations. You're going to see an inability to get three, three, four, five, six, seven times pipeline coverage. You're going to go with smaller, but higher quality pipelines And you're going to see marketplaces in the business world, the hyperscalers like AWS and Google and Oracle and um, Microsoft. People are going to be doing a ton of business in B2B marketplaces. So you need someone to cover direct and indirect sales. You need someone to cover the market. You need someone who's going to do the post-sale stuff. You need someone who's going to handle all the digital transactions and all the different digital routes that I mentioned. You need your RevOps folks, and then you need your evangelist and enablement folks who are going to support everybody. And it's much smaller. That was a big, a big diatribe. So I, I apologize for No,
0: you. I love it. I love it. And it,
1: so passionate about this concept.
0: Well, it's almost like I feel because you you know, a lot of the stuff you're talking about I've mentioned in the book, and you know, I've written Several years back, and I just feel like a lot of times, and I don't want to do this in a very like cavalier way, but there's this tsunami of change that is coming, and I don't know everybody like really feels or really like understands truly how much the game is going to change in a very short time. And one of the things you you made me think of when you were was speaking was our, our sales leaders needs to prioritize. The coaching of different skills and capabilities than we historically have with traditional sellers. And, and a lot of that is being driven by instead of increasing your headcount, it's pulling effectiveness and efficiencies out of the reps you already have and coaching to increase their effectiveness. So talk a little bit about how you've seen sales leaders change their approach. Cause you're right. Just stereotypically, it would just be like double my sales force. And like, you know, we expect them to hit, you know, 30%, whatever that looks like. So that is a massive shift of now I've got to have a different thought process about coaching and empowering my current headcount. What have you seen be successful when it comes to that?
1: Yeah, it's so interesting that you said that because I was talking to a COO of you know, a billion dollar plus company the other day, and she said, I'd rather invest in the talent that I have. I don't want to go out and get a bunch more talent. I want the talent that I have not to be burnt out, not to be spending their time on low value activities. I want them to be more successful. You know, that's a real mind shift. And I have to credit her for having made that mind shift. What's interesting that, that you talk about the coaching, because I've been spending a lot of time about on thinking about that lately, because I recently took over enablement for outreach. I handle enablement, evangelism, and also our uh, cloud-based marketplaces alliances. And 12 months ago, we had 20 enablement professionals. Do you know how many we have today? We have three. Oh, wow. Now, I'm, I mean, I could certainly, I wouldn't mind a few more headcount. So, you know, Manny, if you're listening, plug, plug. Um, and I know everybody's- <laughs> everybody's budgeting right now. So yeah. I'm, I wouldn't mind, you know, a few more headcount. But the point is, I've been spending a lot of time talking with Harish Mohan, who is my co-host on the pod. And also he's running sales right now for outreach globally. He came up with this term active enablement. And the way I'm thinking about it is agile, the agile enablement organization and more active enablement. So he really pushed me to say, Mary, you know, you need to create an enablement organization for not a high growth marketplace, but for a marketplace where you know, we're going to have less people in the organization, where we're not growing at all costs, where we want to drive profitable growth. So now what we're doing is we've completely retooled enablement and outreach. We've got coaches that sit in every team. They're on the street, they're coaching left and right. We are uh, simplifying our pitches. We're doing pitch contests. We're doing a lot to enable our sellers to be able to have very, very effective conversations in the marketplace and less of this big programmatic stuff that you would have done in enablement when you were growing hand over fist. So we are coaching. We are training. We are going through our conversation intelligence tool, which we call Kaya. We're looking, analyzing all of the words. We're going back to coach reps on how to improve their interactions and engagement. And so, to me, that's sort of the active enablement that I think companies are going to have to embrace as this marketplace becomes more and more difficult to sell in.
0: So, I think that's a good segue to start talking about the, the evolution of sales tech. So, you know, I. I kind of have to straddle both sides of the fence when it comes to MarTech and SalesTech because, you know, I'm really all about like aligning the two functions. So MarTech, we know, is a much more mature landscape, field, et cetera. They've been around forever. The Mar- Was it MarTech 2700? No, 7000, 9000, 10000. Who knows what it is now? SalesTech, in comparison, said it's it 9000 now.
1: Oh, I don't know. I I just think, of, no, I don't
0: know. I think it's 7,000. Hey, whatever. We'll call Scott Brinker and get him to confirm <laughs> what There we go. Currently. I was
1: going to call Jay McBain. <laughs> He's got all the charts. and. The we'll call
0: him and... too because their stuff is still going crazy. But on the sales side of things, it is in comparison, right? Very much in its adolescence of evolution, but it is evolving quickly. So I want to get to how do we think about implementing technology into the salesperson's work stream workflow in a way that, makes them more efficient, effective. But I want you to kind of give people perspective of the evolution of sales tech first, because I think that would be helpful for context. And then we'll get into that, the workflow conversation.
1: Yeah. And I'm happy to do that. And I'm actually going to say, I think we're a little bit more than our adolescents. I think we actually might be in our early twenties. Okay. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. We can officially
0: get in the bar now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) No, but just to back up, when you think about the sales tech landscape, and I I really think about that being non-CRM type of tech, right? Because Benioff brought CRM to the cloud, I think it was, when was that? 2009, right? And something like that. Some smartass will call me up and tell me I was wrong, but that's okay. You know, at that time, CRM was really the only game in town when you thought about sales tech and what salespeople needed. And of course, Salesforce has an amazing sales and marketing channel. And you know, they'd buy and acquire other companies and then just drive adoption through their massive channel. But the true sales technology landscape, in my mind, was born around 2015. And the way to target that date is that's where you start to see the money flow. So, and this was about probably 10 years. After, you know, we saw the tremendous consolidation with marketing automation and what was possible with marketing automation. I may not have the dates right, but you know what I mean. And so these companies like Highspot, Savo, Seismic, a little bit later, Yesware, ToutApp, some of the earlier players wanted to take the incredible direction for marketing, except put it in a one-to-one versus a one-to-many type of setting, right? And so that's when you started to see these companies get funding, which would be very small by today's inflated standards even brought down a third or two thirds where we are today but you started to see these companies get funded and people start to pay attention and analysts start to follow them what happened around 2020 is you had a massive amount of sales tools or solutions that were just single product solutions and outreach was that at the time with our core our core product which was engage which When everyone thinks about outreach, they think, oh, yeah, that's going to be for front of the cycle reps and help them manage their omni-channel outbound activity. Well, that was several years ago. That was five years ago. Now we have many products that are part of a multi-product platform. So circa 2020, these technology providers took the next natural step, which was we're going to move and evolve from being a single product provider to a multi-product platform. Some did it effectively, some didn't. And then simultaneously, you started to see t- sales technology buyers say, you know, I don't want to be the systems integrator, you know, my own systems integrator. I, I want to run sales. I don't want to deal with all these disparate data silos. And it's a pain to manage so many different vendor contracts. And so simultaneously, you started to see business leader push their vendors of choice, their preferred vendors to do more and to drive more value from them. And we saw a lot of M&A happen back at that time. And so now, you know, I sort of would call this 2020, 2020, 2021 was consolidation. Now we're in what I call platformization, which is all about a platform. And everyone, especially given the economic conditions, wants to consolidate down from three tools to one tool or 10 to seven. And so the companies that have been able to innovate like Outreach and others and that successfully have a range of products across the entire revenue cycle for all of the personas that engage there are the ones that are going to be really successful. And so we're having many, many conversations with CROs and saying, you know, you have names. I want to get in trouble from any competitors. We're all frenemies anyway, but (laughs) you know, you don't need this. You don't need that. You don't need this. And if you come on to outreach, you have everything from you know, that's going to help everyone execute from forecasting to deal management to digital sales rooms to your cadences and so on and so forth. And so it's really exciting time to be able to help companies save money, get more from their data, and naturally lean in to a provider like Outreach and others.
0: But you bring up something interesting that, that I think goes back to the the workflow comment that I mentioned before. As a sales leader, as a CRO, whoever it is in the organization. How do you kind of help them assess what is necessary in order to empower their sellers from a technology standpoint and introduce it, implement it in a way that doesn't cause more work and more burden?
1: Yeah, chaos. Yeah. It's interesting. You hear so many times, well, you know, we don't need another tool, right? I'm sure you've heard that too, Jeff. Never heard that. (laughs) No, we don't need another tool or... Our salespeople have you know cognitive overload or salespeople will just simply not ingest another tool. And so, you know, there's it's a multi-pronged process. One is what I will I typically do is go in and evaluate their stack. Usually they have duplicative elements, things that they could be getting, you know, from one vendor that they're getting from multiple vendors, and then there's usually some big gaps. So I identify where they can reduce. And then where they might have a very big gap that's preventing them from being super effective. And then you just kind of prioritize, like on the sales side, in this environment, I would prioritize a sales readiness platform. Something like, um, you know, an Allegro or a MindTickle or some of those other companies that are providing you with the ability to do continuous coaching asynchronously or synchronously over video. And where you can go back and forth with your manager, and your manager can write notes and you know send it back, Jeff. You know next time you do the pitch, focus on this or lose this um or you know you say I think too much or whatever it is. And so, investing in tools that are going to help raise the effectiveness and the talent level of your sales team, I think, is pretty important right now. So you just have to prioritize.
0: Yeah. No, I like that. And then the the other thing I think we need to make a, a good point on is ensuring that. And I've seen this go awry in in several organizations where the tech is being put on salespeople versus being, uh, and I don't know the right word, but being introduced to help them be more efficient, effective, right? That feels very different. So maybe share some thoughts with those sales leaders that once they've identified the right technology, how do you actually introduce that into the organization in a way so your sellers feel empowered versus burdened?
1: Well, I think we can start by assessing blame where it belongs, Jeff, and that's on the CRM providers. So I'm going to blame Salesforce and Microsoft and SAP and saying, you know, people and IT folks would buy CRM and then you'd push it on the salesperson. And the salesperson realizes this has nothing to do with my workflows, my day-to-day activities. This is like an activity management tool, pipeline management tool. This is for my manager. This is for our back office people. Like, why do I even want to do this? And salespeople got for a decade plus, at least, right? CRM pushed on them, and they derive zero value from it. So, number one, salespeople have some legacy baggage that they're often bringing to that sales technology conversation. And thank you, SAP, Salesforce, and Microsoft for that. <laughs> so that being PTSD said, PTSD <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I know, right? And then you know, when I was a CRO, I'd be like, okay, we're having Salesforce Fridays and. I'd be like giving spiffs and sending out money. And it was just basically data entry for me because I couldn't go talk to the CEO on Monday if I didn't have the right data. But there's no value for sellers. So I think number one is understanding that there is some PTSD that your sellers probably experience from the CRM. The next thing is that, and this is what I do a lot of and love to do, is you have to educate folks. You need to help people understand the world of buying and selling is changing. You need more sophisticated tools to be, be able to engage at scale, at the level of personalization that these buyers are expecting. You need visibility into the dark funnel before you reach out and have that call so you know where they are on the buyer's journey. And so I go out and evangelize and educate. And I do a lot of SKOs and help people understand how buyers buy, wanna buy it's going to be pretty impossible to deliver that experience without some of these tools, Jeff. So that's the next thing. And then the third leg of the stool is I encourage companies to bring in, I don't want to create complete chaos when you're evaluating a new solution or a new provider, but bring in salespeople across regions or product lines into some of those sales conversations so that they're not on the back end of, Oh, we bought this for you, Jeff. Now you're going to go use it versus they're sitting with a vendor and helping the vendor understand their particular use case. And then, of course, if they're listened to and you're able to do some level of customization, they become the best advocates for your program going forward. It's so simple, but you know this from your consulting work and nobody does it.
0: Yeah. So there's two things that came out of that. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff, but I think first and foremost, positioning whatever product tech you choose to adopt as a tool in the salesperson's toolkit in order for them to be more efficient effective at their job right versus saying oh we're throwing some new technology you have to work use this now it feels very different it feels like you're adopting something to help me actually do my job better and at the end of the day that means that i make more money the other thing you talked about is bringing sales people in early i will say one of the reasons that my transition to marketing and this is just a self-assessment, of course, was fairly successful. And I was doing some high-level like national rollouts of programs. It was I innately knew that I had to get sales involved early. I was working with traditionally trained marketers that had never had field experience, and they were brilliant people, brilliant strategists. It didn't seem like a stretch for me to say, can you identify some reps for me to talk to A, top performers, middle performers, maybe bottom, depending how bad they are. Because I want to get if you're if you're about to manage them out, I probably shouldn't get them involved in this project. Yeah, <laughs> so let's just say top and middle, <laughs> middle <reformers. laughs> yeah, B minus, B minus, right? But the B- the D's, minus. I <laughs> do really don't want their opinion. Yeah, because I'm I like, agree, you're probably not going to be here, and that's whatever. You know what that's going. Selfishly, I wanted to get the insights on what they needed, what the real problems were, which sometimes get scrubbed by the time you get to senior leadership. Let's call a spade a spade, right? And then the second one I knew is that not only would I get insights from them, if I were to help them feel like they were part of the process of what we were doing, they would become our ambassadors. They would go to the field and sell it for me. And the reality of things is I didn't have the time nor the seniority to go to every single salesperson across the US, right? I can't. Do this on my own. I can't sell my ideas and programs in that way. But I totally agree with you. It is an underutilized resource. And stereotypically, reps are excited to get involved in those sort of things because it's something different than their day to day.
1: Yeah. Intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, right? I mean, you and I know this. You know, there's stereotypes around salespeople, but many of the salespeople including myself like i wanted to be a hero for my organization i wanted to be seen as someone who was like setting the pace and bringing others along learning and sharing everything that i could and so sales people love to have that kind of opportunity and i think yourself having carried a bag and been in a sales organization it's so invaluable to just bring that mindset over to marketing because There's a little bit of the skills are very different and there's the DNA is a little bit different. But you know that by talking to salespeople, not only are you enlisting and engaging them and helping your rollout be more successful, but these folks can actually potentially help you avoid a terrible and costly mistake. I love marketers who've actually carried a bag. Yeah. I wish, well, I wish mean, I will tell them. you
0: the transition from sales and marketing, let's just say it was a chasm to get across. And even with the MBA, I was, and mind you, the things have changed and, and, and they've gotten better, but I just was so frustrated by, you know, people's lack of ability to see a successful, you know, for all intents and purposes, salesperson transition to a marketing role. They couldn't see it. And I'm like, what else do I have to do? to demonstrate that, like, I've done what I need to do in order to be able to make this transition, so.
1: Yeah, those stereotypes really bother me because, I mean, you're being humble, but you have an MBA from one of the top business schools in the world that's known for its quantitative, um, for its quant school. And I am certain that you walked into that marketing organization with a lot of great ideas and capabilities. So, yeah, it can be difficult. I'd love to see marketers go sell for a little while. And I know you know our friends, Justin and Julia, who are out there doing the Hype Cycle. And I really love the concept because you get a chance in this virtual environment, interactive virtual environment to walk in some other people's shoes. And I think that just contributes to being a much more well-rounded executive.
0: Yeah, if I were running a marketing organization, I definitely would require my marketers to at least... Be at met a minimum, be on some sales rides or on the phone with our sales folks to understand and feel and what is really going on. And if nothing else, if they're going to get into a leadership role, you know, and some organizations actually require their marketers to go out, especially senior leaders, senior marketer, marketing leaders to go out and sell for a while. But if nothing else, you need to be out on a field ride, maybe taking a you know, short succumbent internship in the field because it actually makes you a better marketer. It really, really does. Like it, it's a very different skill set, and no one expects you to go out and become the number one top salesperson. But it, just doing that, I think facing rejection, trying to articulate yourself in a non-marketing speak way because you can't talk to customers like that doesn't work.
1: No, you can't.
0: And I've seen people try talk to do them it the way you write. Right, and I'm just like <laughs> it's like you can't talk to customers like that. That works on copy, but it doesn't work with real humans.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know we probably have to wrap up because we've been going on and on, but I did want to say that as we circling back to my Agile Efficient organization where you've got the growth exec instead of marketing and sales, I'm also seeing organizations experiment with pods. So if you've got enterprise sales team, you're actually creating a pod of people. It could be an SDR, an AE, who's ultimately in charge of the account, marketer who's in working on that account. And I do think you're going to start to see marketers collaborating much more on opportunity level collaboration that isn't just ABM, but ways of working together. And I think we'll see more of that in this agile organization. And I think we'll also start to see some more exciting and interesting uh, variable compensation that has much more to do with high quality pipeline later in that pipeline and transactions versus MQLs, which conversation, do, do they even matter anymore?
0: Yeah. So one last thing before we close that, because I know you got to go, you're a busy woman. RevOps, really high level. What is it? Because I've seen a rise in the whole conversation about RevOps. I know it's not fully adopted across all industries, but those industries or those leaders that are listening that may not be familiar with RevOps or may not have that role, what is it? How can they know if it's something that they should invest in?
1: Well, um, you can't afford not to invest in it, Jeff, particularly for so many of the reasons that we've talked about here today, which is... Buying and selling in the business world is completely different today than it was 10 years ago or five years or seven years ago. If I were to take on another chief revenue officer role and don't hold me to this, I might do it someday. Who knows? Never say never. The first person I would hire would be my RevOps uh, leader. And that person is into the data. So using technology and data to drive continuous insights for the go-to-market organization and specifically to your top growth officer on how to maximize every opportunity that you have out there at a territory company and opportunity level. So, again, whole other show, but it is definitely one of the most important roles within the whole go-to-market organization organization.
0: So I would say definitely for those listening that may not be familiar with RevOps or may not have that role in their organization to look at Mary's work or do a little bit of research, because I think it's definitely something, a role that more organizations should consider and, and learn about. So with that said, how do those listening find Mary Shea online? How do we get in contact with you if we want to learn more about you and your work?
1: Well, thanks for asking. I mean, I'm out there on all of the social platforms, so I'm pretty easy to access and find. I am very busy and I travel a lot like you do as well, but you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter and you can email me directly at my .io uh, email at outreach. So yeah, anyone who wants to continue the discussion and any one of the other channels, I'd love to do it.
0: Mary, thank you so much. I know you're a busy woman. I appreciate you taking time. A great conversation is always about, well, revenue leaders should be looking at as far as transforming the B2B organization for the future. So again, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks for having me, Jeff.
0: Thanks for listening to the Red Engine podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.